This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey guys, here we are live from The Remnant Radio, and my name is Michael Roundtree. <laughs> I was like, did it go live? You, uh, you look like you're at, you're, your aunt's asking a question by saying that. <laughs> I was like, I didn't see the, the, the live button, but there it is. Okay, <laughs> well, here we are, guys, and we're doing a live Q&A. This is what happens when I am in the driver's seat and Josh Lewis is on vacation. Look forward to a few technical errors that we will work our way through, and we'll answer some great questions about spiritual gifts. Stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Okay, well, we're, we're about 30 seconds into this. That's already my second error. That's Monday's intro video. <laughs> But all good, all good, because the music is pleasant. So, um, Miller, how are you doing over there in the basement of Denver, Colorado? I, I don't know. Apparently, I'm not on this episode of the radio. <laughs> but are, are you uh, ever really, though? Are you? No, 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 no. I'm just here to, to up the uh, good look game. You're welcome. You, 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 you do that. I mean, your beard is definitely, you got something on me there, so... Uh, well, hey guys, we're going to do a little live Q&A about spiritual gifts. If you could put in all caps the word question, that'll help us see. We're not going to be able to get to all of you, but I think we'll get to a lot of your questions. And uh, it's going to be an exciting episode today. Uh, before we dive in, just a couple of things that you should know. Uh, try and click that link in the description. And uh, we're a crowdfunded ministry, and so you can uh, click on Patreon if you want to make a recurring donation, get access to exclusive content, or to PayPal if you want to make a one-time donation. It also really helps us out. Whether you make a, want, to, want to make a donation or not, hit that like and subscribe button. Uh, we just went over 100,000 uh, subscribers pretty recently. It's already jumped up to like, I don't know, 110, 111, 112, something like that. So uh, anyway, so thank you guys so much for all your support of our ministry. Uh, so let's let's dive in. Miller, what question do you think that we should, uh, we should tackle first? Oh, gosh. Uh... Let's start with the ones that came in first. How's that? Uh, that the sounds one from... good. Oh, uh, Elijah McGrath. Okay. Says, how have you seen your own spiritual gifts mature over time? I'm specifically curious about prophecy. Do you find yourselves prophesying with more accuracy, accuracy and frequency as time goes on? Michael, what say you? Okay, yeah, I... I would say definitely it's matured over time. Um, There we go. Let's get the camera on me. (laughs) Uh, Definitely matured over time. Uh, When it started out, I remember receiving prayer to receive the gift of prophecy. And the person who was very prophetic told me, like, man, you're you're way in your head. And uh, that has been my tendency from time to time to be in my head. And it's not like the mind is bad. God made the mind. The mind is good. but I can so over logic things that sometimes, uh, you know, things like visions and impressions, uh, they, they, they don't resonate as much in that part of the brain. I mean, you have Peter who's super confused in Acts chapter 10 by the vision that he's receiving. And, uh, and so I, I was just kind of, I started out really confused, but, uh, but man, I just started, I started fasting, started praying, started practicing to to hear God's voice, like, Lord, be, please begin to speak to me. And I, I saw one of the other questions, I'll kind of jump in on that one. Someone was asking, like, in our own, my own personal devotional life, can I, uh, can I learn prophecy? Can I, like, begin practicing hearing God in that context? And I would say, absolutely. When Ephesians 6 says to pray in the Spirit at all times, 
Uh, I don't think that means primarily, hey, everybody speak in tongues. I mean, I think speaking in tongues is a form of praying in the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 14. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 6, 12, not 12, it's a little further down uh, in Ephesians 6. But uh, I don't think that's what he's talking about when he says to pray in the Spirit. I think he's saying pray in accordance with the Spirit's desires, which requires us to hear what the Spirit is saying in order to pray it. And so uh, so that's what I try to do is I, I try to, I mean, I have a prayer list and I pray through that, but... Uh, but I'll also try to listen to the Holy Spirit, like, Lord, how are you guiding my prayer? And then I'll try to pray that thing. And and I would say, uh, yes, sometimes the Lord would communicate that through a picture or a vision. Uh, sometimes the Lord would put an impression on my heart to pray for this. And then I've seen like that very thing that he put, that he impressed me to pray about came to pass and was really important for that person in that moment. I could tell stories if we have time, but I want to volley it over to Miller first. But um, anyway, so I would say that like that was... In the early days, especially how I grew, because I was too nervous to try anything uh, publicly. But then from there, I began trying things in community groups, and then maybe the Lord would speak to me for somebody on my prayer list, or I, at least I thought he might have, and I'd reach out to him like, hey, I kind of felt like the Lord was saying this. And, and so I kind of gradually like took these baby steps, uh, and then I got to the point where I was uh, prophesying more actively, publicly, and then uh, gradually on the stage. But you know, Paul says to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Um, so first of all, you can receive a spiritual gift by impartation. Uh, but, but second of all, just receiving that gift is not enough. You have to fan it into flame. It starts as a tiny spark, but then it can become a bonfire like any spark can if you nurture it. And so those are some of the things uh, that I did. What about you, Miller? Uh, when it pertains to, uh, well... Okay, let's start with my experiences with healing. And I, I, Michael's given you good scriptural precedent. I would agree with everything he just said. I'll, I'll just tell you anecdotally my history. But uh, I started really getting into the gifts because I was doing evangelism uh, with Young Life at a high school, Bryan High School in, in um, College Station, Bryan, Texas. And I just wanted to see people come to Christ. And so I thought healing seems like a pretty awesome avenue for that to take place. And so I started praying for that didn't really see much. But then uh, I got connected with a lady named Dolores Winder, who was healed in a Catherine Coleman meeting years ago. And Dolores Winder laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I was driving home from her house. And I had, for lack of a better term, power come on me and started seeing a dramatic increase in the amount of healings that I saw. Um, but I would say that I always prayed for the sick. And I, I have continued that in my life um, since the beginning. So I, I pray a lot for the sick. Uh, when it comes to prophecy, I would say I was the most ungifted prophetic person you could ever meet. I can and vouch for that. Michael, yeah, you could attest to that when you <laughs> met me. Um, but I mean, you know, the funny thing is, Michael, you would say, I mean, it's pretty common that I would get words of knowledge and even people's names on occasion. Uh, more occasionally than than just regular words of knowledge, but there, it's pretty common that I would look at somebody and I would know something wrong with their body or a prayer they prayed in secret uh, or their occupation. Um, that's happened. It happens quite a bit, but all of that um, happened over time. Uh, I used to work at a restaurant where I would pray for my coworkers every morning before I showed up to work just to see if the Lord would, would speak to me. So um, in that, that question about can you pray for your personal life and for direction and to hear from God? Yeah, I think so. I think it is far easier to grow in these things when you're praying for people you don't know or yeah. when you're praying for things that you have no personal stake in uh, because there's less chance of you muddling what you want with what God is saying. And so uh, I would say that's primarily how I've grown is by praying through for other people and asking the Lord to speak to me in a way that would encourage them and bless them. And one of my specific prayers is that it would bless them in such a way that they would know that it's God and it could not come from me so yep. that God would receive all the glory. So yep. and that's been kind of my experience over time. Good. Good. Well, uh, I'm going to pull up another question here. And this is David French. I want to know, David French, are you like the columnist and active tweeter, David French, uh, who angers conservatives and liberals alike? <laughs> uh, or are you just David French? Either way, we love you. Um, so 
it says, should I consider changing churches to find discipleship or should I stick it out and hope they could be receptive to change after I learn how to actually use the gifts? Okay, so, um, and, and the next question by Abby Barnes is, is real similar. It's basically like, what do I do about my church? Because if I don't go to a church that's, uh, that's continuous, I mean, here is the reality. If you go to a cessationist church, you're probably not going to grow in the gifts much. You can. And if you do, it's going to be because of what you got outside of that church, not because of what you got inside the church. So it's going to be because you joined some small group or were participating in some parachurch ministry or something like that. What makes this question challenging is that there are different contexts. Uh, so I was just talking with somebody who's, uh, who's moving to the Pacific Northwest, and they were asking me about a certain church. And, uh, and the, and if somebody's moving to the Pacific Northwest, that's very different than if they're moving to Oklahoma or Texas, uh, because they're just coastal regions, major cities. Sometimes, uh, the, especially on the coast, uh, they tend to not have as many options for church life. I mean, what, or what if you're in the middle of say Africa, you know, you're probably not going to have just like tons of churches. So a lot depends contextually. If you have a smorgasbord of church options, I would say go to a continuationist church. If you don't have many options, there are things more important than spiritual gifts and uh, the Trinity and teaching of the scripture, etc. Like, I mean, look for these things. Those, those are most important. And, and can you connect and fellowship with these people? Those are all really important. But I would put continuationism as pretty high on the list of importance. It's, it's not as high as those other things, but it is still important. And here's why. One of the things that I found in my own friendship with God was, you know, when I became a continuationist, started believing all the gifts, I thought it was going to be like, okay, cool. Now I see healing. Now I um, prophesy or see people prophesy. Like, I thought it was just going to be about the things I saw happen. And I certainly saw things happen that boggle the mind. I mean, I've seen some amazing things over the years, but what I was surprised by was how it changed the way I related to God. Uh, if you start to believe that God by his Holy Spirit is speaking to you uh, and can speak to you at any point of the day, and never in a way that contradicts the Bible, but in ways that are beyond just the Bible, uh, just like what we see in the Bible, like the Apostle Paul in Acts 16 has a dream and a Macedonian says, come over here and help us. And, and he and his whole team conclude God's called them over to Macedonia and they plant the most joyous church in the New Testament, the church in Philippi. If I start thinking those kinds of things might happen to me and God begins speaking to me through dreams and through visions and other ways, I mean, it transforms my friendship with God. Think of Philip in Acts chapter 8 and uh, the Spirit says to him and an angel says to him and then and he has this divine appointment and then the gospel reaches Ethiopia. I mean, those kinds of things. Life becomes just generally uh, very exciting and it, it just changes your dynamic. I don't know if that happened to you, Miller, but it changed the dynamic of how I relate to God. And so I, it would be very hard for me to ever go to a cessationist church. Uh, however, let's say that someday I'm 65 years old and God calls me to be a missionary in Timbuktu and there are no churches and, or maybe there's one cessationist church. I mean, just different circumstances. But as a general rule, if you can find a continuationist church uh, that that also preaches the word. And if you can't, you've just got to work through those factors yourself. And if you need to stay in a functionally cessationist church because of various factors, and I haven't even touched on family factors and so on, if you need to stay in a cessationist church uh, for various factors, then I would say see if you can find it through a small group of people, through a parachurch, or some some way of getting hey, the Holy Spirit element. Yeah, or our e-course. You know what? I was supposed to mention that at the top of the show. Miller, do you want to uh, talk about that for a second? It's in the description. Yeah, I guess we've got three weeks for the sign-up, or two weeks, two and a half weeks left for people to sign up for it. And it's a discipleship course specifically on uh, growing in the spiritual gifts. So we'll give you a biblical basis for what the scriptures have to say about the gifts of the Spirit, along with some practical coaching, uh, group breakout sessions, uh, you'll get to interact with us in a much smaller group setting where we see your face and you see our face. Um, so it should be a lot of fun and it's probably one of the great pleasures I have during the year to get to do this. So looking forward to that. Uh, if you have questions about that, you can look at uh, in the links in the show notes. Uh, do we have it okay. in the show notes? I pulled up. Oh, yeah, it's actually I'm pulling up a question now. But sure. um, 
Yes, Miller. It's in the description. If you go into the description, it's under the uh, the Word and Spirit School of Ministry. That's our e-course. Uh, okay, Miller, I'm going to read this question. Why don't you answer it? We're, we're kind of going sequential here. So if you guys keep adding questions, um, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll do our we very best to, to get to yeah. them. Here's Travis Rosenthal. He says, I wanted to start doing power evangelism throughout my daily life. Is there any advice you guys could give as far as praying for the sick prophecy while shopping, eating out? Uh, so Miller, talk to us specifically about power evangelism. Yeah. Yeah, a big thing about the power evangelism is it shouldn't be about seeing something happen. I, I, let me clarify on this. I mean, we want to see God move, but the, the goal is to love people with the power of God. The moment people feel like you have an agenda is the moment they feel like you're selling them something and they don't want anything to do with it. And so uh, uh, people can read your face super well if you actually care. Like, So if I see somebody with an arm brace on and compassion wells up in me, I think it's important to let that compassion show. And my way of walking up to them is going to be like, oh my gosh, what happened to your arm? Uh, my name is Michael, and I, I would love to pray for you. Can I pray for you really quickly? I promise it won't take long. Um, like That's kind of my approach with power stuff on the streets in general, just because um, people don't care about what you think until they know how much you care. And part of that is, is showing genuine compassion and care for people, as opposed to it being about you seeing a sign or a wonder or something cool. Um, it, but however, I, I do think that that uh, other things that would be helpful would be just practical instruction on how to pray for the sick. Um, people are, people are, are sick for various reasons and not all of them are just naturally caused. And so, um, I mean, honestly, I, I cast demons out in public. <laughs> I pray for the sick in public. I prophesy in public. I do all of those things. Um, the other thing is I would pray and ask the Lord who he wants you to speak to uh, and to give you opportunities, divine opportunities. I pray for those kind of things on the front end. Like we pray for persons of peace that the Lord would introduce us to. Um, Trying to think of other practical things. Um, do the best you can not to make it weird. That would be my other encouragement. Um, Michael, do you have any add-ons to that? Uh, no, I, I think that's, uh, that's good. I mean, I, I think that pursuing the gifts and, and pursuing evangelism have become such a part of my life. I don't typically think in terms of like, here's my power evangelism moment and here's my, um, right. moment to move just a my casual life. conversation into a spiritual conversation. Like to me, it's all one. Uh, you know, mm. I saw, I saw a young lady at the, uh, I was running an errand today and she had a tattoo kind of like running down the side of her head. I'm telling you, dude, it looked like it said 666. And I was like, what? On your face? Oh, my gosh. So um, I said, so tell me about your tattoo. And she said, oh, it's 1999, the year of my birth. I was like, oh, there's a hidden one. It's right there <laughs> under her sideburn. But like, Praise the lamb. <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> praise God. So I'm, I'm so glad I didn't lead in with like, why would you get the devil's number on your body? Uh, but, but I'm just telling you that because I asked the question as a lead into evangelism, evangelistic conversation. But if I don't have a cue like that, I'll often just, while I'm waiting in line, try to hear the Lord for somebody and then I'll share. And man, I feel like I have heightened accuracy when I'm doing evangelism. And, uh, you know, maybe, I, I don't know why that is, but maybe part of the reason is because uh, that's why God gives, I mean, it's one of the major reasons why God gives power, Acts 1.8, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. And the church in the West has come largely to the conclusion that we don't really need power to do evangelism. Uh, we don't need power to be witnesses. Uh, we just need uh, good strategies. We just need uh, you know, like Andy Stanley saying lately, well, we just need to convince people they don't need to believe the Bible uh, and like just basically kind of creating the lowest bar possible, make people as comfortable as we can. And then we'll kind of ease them into becoming Christians. I'm kind of like, actually, let's get them healed. That'd be way better. When and, easing them into it, it's like there's no easing into him being your Lord. You come to Christ willing to die for him. I, I just that lowering the bar like that makes no sense to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm just going to pull up another question here. I, I sent you one via text too. Oh, okay. Well, I already no, pulled this one up. One. Yeah. Is this the one? Uh, no, but that's good. Okay. What would you say to a cessationist who argues we cannot interpret John 10, 27 about hearing God's voice literally because John 20, 10, 28 establishes that it's a metaphor about salvation. What would you say, Miller? Uh, I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive. I mean, the idea of hearing God through 
the gospel is no different than hearing God personally. Um, but I would also say that doesn't line up with the vast majority of Scripture that talk about God pouring out His Spirit more so in the end days. And what's the overwhelming result? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see uh, dreams. Your young men will see visions. Um, I mean, the expectation of the outpouring of the Spirit, of the new covenant, is that the people of God are marked by the Spirit of God, which means the power of God, which largely looks like hearing from God and prophecy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Abs- no, I, that's, I think that's I got a little, bit, little spice on well, that one. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, to the person's point, I, I would say, I don't think John 10.27 is talking about prophecy proper. It's not. Right. It's talk. But what it does, so it does, I, you know, this is my sheep hear my voice. And it's in the context of we heard Christ's voice whenever we got saved and we responded. But my guess is that for most of our viewers and listeners, you probably didn't hear the audible voice saying, hey, Josiah, it's time to give your life to Jesus. Like you didn't hear a voice like that, but maybe you heard the voice of Jesus through a preacher or through a friend who was sharing the gospel. Uh, maybe you heard, like, my, my point is that, like, either Jesus spoke through a person or or Jesus s- communicated something so deep inside of your heart that it, it just felt like your own thought, like it's time to get saved. I mean, that's kind of how it was for me. And so, and, and so I would say that I would agree with Miller's point. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I would agree with the cessationist that that's not properly a gift about prophecy, However, it does teach us about the nature of hearing God's voice. And, uh, you know, I would say to the Satanists, so are you saying that Jesus can speak outside of the scripture? Can he speak through a preacher? Uh, when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, could that possibly be referring to a, a not inerrant, rather an errant or a fallible preacher actually preaching the word of God, but Jesus using that fallible preacher could speak through that person? and could hear the voice of Jesus and come to the gospel, seems to me like that could happen. And so, uh, anyway, point being, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but I I do agree it's not directly about prophecy. Uh, Okay, Um, I'm going to pull up this one by Javier Miller. Why don't you take this one? Sure. If it'll come up. There it is. Uh, He says, I'm going to speak to my cessationist pastor sometime soon. Just want to have all the best verses for continuationism. All right, Miller, you got your continuationism apologetic shined and ready? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ephesians 4, I think, is a big one. I think 1 Corinthians, uh, you know, what it talks about, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry until we receive, you know, the we attain the maturity of the faith, the unity of the brother, and all that. Um, and then also 1 Corinthians 13, when the perfect comes, there's no way that the perfect could be the Scriptures because he's talking about seeing face to face. Uh, and this is, you know, terminology that's, that's drawing upon the Exodus when Moses saw God. He got to speak with God face to face as man speaks to man. That won't happen until Jesus returns. So these gifts, yes, they'll cease when we no longer have any need for them because everything will be made known. We won't have a need for words of knowledge. Um, so that would be another one. Um, Joel 2, the end times, it being prophecy. Uh, that's the you know giving of the Spirit. is going to result in massive prophecy for all of God's people. Uh, and that is considered the end times um, or end days. Uh, and then, but, but I would also just be real careful on this one. Um, it's going to be really hard to change your pastor's stance if he's a cessationist. Uh, you might stand a better chance of recommending books like Jack Deere's uh, Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, just because I don't, I, I mean, Michael, how successful have you found it to change when you were a, a member in a church to change your pastor's position on a particular theology? <laughs> Not very successful. I mean, I became a continuationist right. in a cessationist church, talked to my uh, my pastor, he warned me of the dangers of my beliefs. And then I went along or went on with my dangerous beliefs into another church. So, um, yeah, it, it's not super common to be able to convince your senior pastor to change. Now, if you're, if you have like a lot of voice with your senior pastor or elder board or whatever, you know, there are various different situations. Um, what I would say is I, I do find show, that a lot don't of tell. Yeah. 
what I would say is I, I think there are a lot of like, say senior pastors who say things like, well, I believe in all this stuff. I just don't know practically how to practice it. You can work with that. You can work with yeah. that. And so, uh, if you find that open door at that point, you're not trying to convince them theologically of something they didn't already believe. Um, I honestly, I would turn them on, just get them started on remnant radio podcasts. I mean, Wednesday, Wednesdays, yeah. we always talk about gifts of the Holy spirit, kind of warm them up. Uh, I, I think, you know, Jack Deere, Sam Storm's books, uh, are really good on that. So, uh, I mean, I, I would begin there. Uh, let, me, let me say one more thing on that just sure. because, uh, I, I think when it comes to friends of mine and leaders that I know that are cessationist, uh, I say often show, don't tell. Uh, trying to convince somebody or give them an argument for the gifts being for today just seldom works because I don't think the issue for cessationists is actually a scriptural scriptural one by and large. I think it's an emotional issue, and I think it's an issue of worldview. And so if you can show them the gifts by praying for a sick person and they recover, by getting words of knowledge and displaying that in front of them, but not making it about yourself or not making it a big deal, just it being normal part of your life, that's going to do far more than you trying to have all the right arguments. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Let's keep it moving on. Uh, sure. this, this is Ike. And Ike says, what are some red flags to be aware of with deliverance ministries? <laughs> Oof, there's uh, plenty there, but I'll, I'll tell you, uh, here, here's one of mine, okay? And I get, I get nervous about this with deliverance ministries because I've, uh, I, I find that deliverance ministries can sometimes endanger the sufficiency of Scripture. First of all, what is the sufficiency of Scripture? It means that God gives us in his word everything we need for salvation and growing in Christ. Everything we need for the spiritual life is talked about in scripture. And so my so how does that relate to deliverance ministry? What I find in deliverance ministry is that oftentimes people will take their experiences in the demonic and codify those in such a way that they're applying it like a universal teaching. Like, here's how you really get demons out. Now, I'm fine with practical tips. We, le- we all learn things. I mean, when I'm training preachers, I teach them things about preaching that I, it's not like I found that tip in the Bible. Like, hey, here's how you should introduce a topic, and here's how you might want to transition. Like, the Bible doesn't speak in that sort of granular detail. But one thing I also tell them when I'm training preachers is don't consider these codified rules. I mean, this is just kind of like my experience. This is, I'm not, this is not the Bible. Uh, and in preaching, this is kind of, in my opinion, um, preaching rules are made to be broken. Sometimes I just don't do what I normally would do because I find that like it's in some situations, it's not the best. So I can give generalities. So when training for deliverance, I want to speak in generalities, but I don't want to speak in universalities, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is the scripture universally binds the conscience of every person. All of us must obey the word of God. Um, I don't want to train deliverance in such a way that I'm saying like, well, hey, I learned this here when I was casting out a demon over there in Switzerland. I cast a demon out over here in Africa and I learned that. And, and I'm teaching these things as though they must apply to every believer everywhere binding on the conscience. I, I don't want to teach it that way. And, uh, and kind of married to that would be another point on deliverance is the main thing in deliverance is the gospel of the kingdom. It is not primarily a deliverance minister's tactics. We have the authority in Christ to cast out demons. Why? Because Jesus, 1 John 3, came to destroy the works of the devil, Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the principalities and the powers. Matthew 4.23-25, it says that Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing the sick and casting out demons. Those go together. He proclaimed and he demonstrated. He proclaimed what? The gospel of the kingdom, the good news that God's in charge. And how does that demonstrate itself? By when God's in charge, demons aren't. When God's in charge, sickness isn't. And so God demonstrates his reign over my body through healing and deliverance, not just mine, but anybody's body. And so we, uh, and so our prayer, Matthew 6, 10, is that 
your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see God take more, God's reign manifested in more people's lives. And so the main thing is the kingdom. Matthew 12, 28, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. God's reign manifests by the casting out of a demon. And so I, and so the, the nutshell of it is I already have authority in Christ to cast out demons. And so I tell the things to go and they go. It, are there some nuances to deliverance teaching? Absolutely. I've read a lot of books on deliverance. I've cast out a lot of demons in my day. And, and there are some practical tips I have for casting out demons, just like I do for how to preach. Um, but I don't want to codify those things and turn them into a new Bible. The Bible is sufficient. Uh, so let's separate practical applications and tips that you've learned from codified lessons that are almost to the level of Scripture and their universal application. Miller, uh, does, does that make sense to you? Do you agree with that? Totally, yeah. Uh, and I would add some unhealthy practices that I've either seen or have been made aware of through friends. But, uh, you know, a couple things that I would avoid uh, when doing it myself or uh, watching others, other ministers, I would avoid these kind of ministries. Um, people who spend a lot of time interviewing demons. Uh, there are times when demons will manifest and it might be helpful to get a name or find out what allowed the thing to get in. But other people will sit there and interview demons and ask them all kinds of questions unrelated to the person who's afflicted. At that point, you're, you're no longer casting out a demon. You're actually, you're consorting with a medium. It's a person manifesting a demon and you're getting supernatural information from that demon, which is literally what the Bible talks about when it says don't consort with a medium. Um, and I've seen that happen. And I, I think the other thing is, uh, you know, ministers that feel like yelling is going to somehow make it better or holding people down or you know a number of other practices like that that i, I would find and you can watch some of our uh, demonization videos on how we actually pra practice and, and pray for the sick who are demonized um to to get some more information on that but okay yeah all right miller i'm gonna pull up another question here uh, Paul seemed to think all Christians had at least one gift. Do you agree with that understanding? And if so, how does one yeah. discover that gift? So Miller, why don't you talk about the how, and I'll talk about the first part of the question, which was all Christians have at least one gift. Uh, that's definitely true. First uh, Peter chapter four, it's around verse uh, 11, 10 and 11, I think. Uh, the apostle uh, Peter says that we're to that each one has received a gift and that the purpose of this gift and he breaks them down into two categories uh serving gifts and speaking gifts and uh and so a service serving gift might be like hospitality or the literal gift of helps or romans 12 the gift of generosity a speaking gift might be prophecy or tongues or teaching and so he seems to break it down into those two categories, and he says that the purpose of these diverse gifts is to display the manifold uh, grace of God. And so we've all been graced with a variety of gifts, and, uh, and when we all exhibit our gifts, we display the diverse beauty, the manifold glory of the grace of God. That's one reason I think it's... Uh, a, <laughs> that I think continuationism is so great is that it it manifests the fullness, uh, or I should say it gets closer to the fullness of the manifold grace of God. I, I don't want to say it manifests the fullness because I think we'll have all eternity to explore the wonders of God's grace. Uh, but it, but the diversity of it is there. And so, uh, but in that passage, he says each one uh, has received a gift. Uh, same thing is true in, in 1 Corinthians 12, like each one receives a, a spiritual gift for the common good uh, and a different manifestation of the spirit. And then it goes with the metaphor uh, or the image of the body, the body of Christ. One person's an eye, another's a hand, another's a foot, and, and the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you, etc. And so we all need one another. The, the, the picture that we have that emerges from this is every single person does have at least one spiritual gift. And so, Miller, my question for you is, how do we discover what those gifts are? Uh, honestly, unless the Lord reveals it right away, I would say it's a matter of trial and error and or somebody who prophesies over you and tells you, hey, I see this gift in you. And then, you, again, to confirm it, you step out in faith. So how do you know if you have a gift of healing? Well, you pray for the sick. You pray for a thousand people, and if you don't see a single person get healed, I'm going to go and say you probably don't have that gift. 
prophecy. You practice praying over people and listening to God and seeing if he shows you anything. Um, so, and another big indicator that uh, might be a, a sign as to whether you have a get, particular gift is I would check to see what your desires are. Um, I think God changes our desires. He gives us a new heart. He causes us to want what he wants uh, and to love what he loves. And part of that ends up being, you know, gifts of the spirit that he wants to give us or has already given us and just uh, giving us an inclination and a natural desire to do that. So I would go with with the, the desires that sort of pop up in your heart. Not to say that all your desires are from God, but I would say when it comes to spiritual matters, a wanting of something that would advance God's kingdom is usually a godly desire. And so I would look there. Um, for me, when I first started believing in this stuff, I wanted to see healing. Well, largely because I wanted to see people come to Christ. And so I prayed for the sick. I, it, nobody had to push me out to do that. I just was naturally motivated with a desire to see the sick made well so that those who are healed could come to believe in Jesus. So. Okay, that's, that's good, Miller. Um, here's, here's another question. I, I'm just going to use this as an opportunity to talk about something kind of tangentially <laughs> related. Uh, yeah. LR Las Vegas says, did Michael Roundtree receive an impartation from Jackie Pullinger? I definitely had her pray over me as did Josh. When we interviewed her, that was one of my favorite interviews of all times, uh, to all time. You guys should go back and watch, uh, the Jackie Pullinger interview. But, um, yeah. you know, I wanted to bring it up Miller because I wanted to ask you about this. I hadn't even had a chance to talk with you. So after the show, uh, Josh and I had her pray over us, do a prayer of impartation. Then I started asking her question about tongue, questions about tongues because all throughout Chasing the Dragon, her, her book, yeah, um, yeah. It's, there's so much tongue speaking going on. And, oh, yeah. And it's she, one of the most fascinating books, really. It, is. it really is. And one of the things that's so fascinating is that even though she says she doesn't like percentages, something like 100% of the <laughs> thousands of people she's prayed with over many decades uh, to come off of heroin addictions, they came off without any withdrawals if they prayed in tongues while they were coming off. Now, as a continuationist, I read 1 Corinthians 14 and how speaking in tongues edifies yourself. And I say, ah, you know what? That makes sense. They're speaking in tongues. They're strengthening their spirit and enabling them to come off of heroin more easily. That kind of jives well with the scripture, not to mention you can't really argue with the facts. It's just, it's just happening. And of course, for my cessationist friends I'm, and brothers, I, I want to ask the question, like, what do you think is happening? Do, are they making up fake tongues and it's helping them come off heroin? Strange idea. Um, anyway, but Miller, I just, uh, <laughs> so I started asking her questions. I was like rapid fire question about tongues uh, afterward. Yeah. And guys, so much of my spiritual growth in life, I've been like very like, I've gone after mentorships. I've gone after like, pe I, I, I'm always trying to learn. Uh, right. I, with my staff, I call it being a lizard learner. It doesn't matter. I can't, I don't have time to go into that. But uh, <laughs> it's like you go after, like the lizard goes after the fly. Anyway, unlike yeah. the frog that just kind of sits there and waits for it. Neither here nor there. Um, I've always just gone after it. And so I just started asking her all these questions and she's like, and her uh, wonderful British accent, just like, you know what, let's just set up another time. So I talked with her this week and, uh, for about an hour about, and it was just like Jackie teaching Michael about the gift of tongues. It was really fascinating. But one of the things she, uh, she talked about was how evangelicals tend to think that when it comes to the gift of tongues, well, God is sovereign. So I'm just going to pray for it. And if he starts wagging my tongue and words come out, then I received the gift of tongues and if it doesn't happen like that, then I didn't receive the gift of tongues. And she says, she says that it's, that's not really a, the best perspective on it. And then she shared her perspective and she used an analogy with, uh, uh, and also for a little bit of framing, I was asking why, like I speak in tongues, but when I pray for other people, I haven't had just as much success in praying for others to speak in tongues. And she was trying to explain why she thinks that is. Well, she went on into an analogy uh, from the scripture of Peter walking on water. And she says, when Peter walks on water, or when Peter walked on water, um, she didn't, uh, it, like the miracle was not that Peter moved his legs. The miracle was that he was able to actually stand up on water when he kept his eyes on Jesus. And, uh, and she says, in the same way, when we're speaking in tongues, the miracle is not tongue wagging. Like we can speak. Like we actually have to speak. We shouldn't just sit back 
Just like Peter shouldn't sovereignly wait for Jesus to drag him, tra- drag him physically out of the boat, he had to actually step. Uh, she said in the same way, we shouldn't wait for God to force our tongues to move, but rather we should just let the Spirit move our tongues and, and, and cooperate with that by moving our tongues in faith. And so, uh, and so it's a more proactive approach. And so, Miller, I know this isn't like one of our Q&As, but I thought it would be sure. fascinating for our viewers and helpful and I wanted to kind of get your perspective on it, Miller, because I think we could say, well, hey, look in Acts, you know, it seemed like people just started speaking in tongues. I, I know for me, it was kind of kind of exploded out of me whenever it happened. Um, but what do you what do you think of of that kind of advice, Miller? Uh, so I'm kind of just chillaxing now. Uh, I actually agree with her, Michael. Uh, I've seen both. I've seen people sovereignly get the gift. Uh, I prayed for a buddy of mine. And the next day he was in the shower and suddenly he started speaking in tongues. Um, and then me personally, Michael, I had to step out in faith. God didn't take over my tongue and start wagging it about. Uh, I literally spoke. And at first I thought it was just gibberish. But then as I continued to do it, it took on a life of its own. And you know, now I've had multiple times where I've had people understand me in Portuguese, bits of French, bits of Italian. Uh, it's some sort of romance language that I don't know at all. And I've had it happen numerous times. And if you were to ask me early on, you know, did you know it was a gift? No, I, I, I didn't know if I was speaking gibberish or a real language. It wasn't until later when I had people understand what I said that I was like, oh, wow. And the other thing that kept happening was I, I would find myself doing it, forgetting the words that I had once spoken and then doing it again and the exact same words would come out. But I would say that I was actively involved in that process and it's this sort of like I step out and yet God steps there with me in that process. And, and I, my experience with others is when I tell them, when I pray for them to get that gift, if they're asking to get that gift, uh, I tell them, listen, God usually doesn't take over your tongue and start wagging it about. You have to speak. And, but in that process, he meets you there. And so I, I agree with her. Um, yeah. I, again, I don't have a ton of scriptural precedent for it other than just a simple sense of we're always co-laboring. And every supernatural gift involves some level of human participation and a great deal of God participation. Now, yeah. I, I lay hands on the sick to see them recover, but God does the miracle. Uh, I step out in faith and speak words that are prophecy, but God is the one who gave the word. Yeah, well, um, and, and maybe you could say, Acts 2, they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. It doesn't say that God took over spoke and them. spoke. Yeah. It says that they spoke and the spirit gave, uh, as the spirit gave them utterance. So um, it's, it's, it's not unbiblical. And I think I kind of like it, Miller. And I, I think I, I think I like it because I think it's, it's true to uh, it's true to our just experience of, of all things spiritual, really. Like there is right. um, in ministry, a co-laboring with Christ. And, uh, and yet that doesn't mean just make up words. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying just make things up. We're not saying like, um, just pretend you're speaking in tongues and hopefully the spirit take over. Uh, we're, we're saying that God won't wag your tongue for you. So speak in faith and then see what happens. And, um, and so anyway, I kind of liked it, Miller. And, uh, and so, Hey, let's jump to the next question. Uh, this is Gabriel. I think he asked a couple of questions, but I'm just going to pick one of them here. Um, he says, is there a point where we should earnestly desire gifts, but roll back on the effort of seeking because, well, we're not getting it? Uh, man, that's a, that's a great question because I can imagine that somebody is like, they're praying to receive the gift of prophecy, praying to receive the gift of prophecy, praying to receive the gift of prophecy, and for years and years and years, and they never get prophecy. Like, should they conclude that they're never supposed to get, pro- to get the gift of prophecy or teaching or leadership or something else? Um, I, you know, Miller, I'm going to let you jump on it first and I might kind of tack an addendum onto that. But what, what do you think? Uh, I mean, first Corinthians 12 on two occasions, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Uh, first Corinthians 14 desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Three times Paul says this and he, he emphasizes prophecy above the others. Um, I would never stop pursuing gifts and I'm never going to, uh, that's been my 
pursuit of God is also through the pursuit of the gifts to, to make God known to others by seeking him in these, in these ways amongst many others, right? I presume through prayer, I presume through fasting, I presume through uh, the teaching of the scriptures and communion and fellowship with the saints. And, um, and, and I presume and uh, through the gifts. And I, I will say that that is an unending goal until either he retor- returns or when I'm with him. Right. But uh, Miller, would you say, could there be a difference? Like, let's say that somebody really wants the gift of teaching and it's like, they're praying for it. They're praying for it. They're given an opportunity. It's miserable for everybody listening. (laughs) Then they pray for it, pray for it. And this goes on for years. And it's just like a terrible experience for all involved. Should the person keep praying for the gift of teaching? And is that any different from like the gift of say tongues or healing or prophecy? Um, yeah, well, one, because we're, we're actually discouraged with the gifts of teach, from teaching. He says, let not many of you become teachers in James. Whereas with prophecy, we're, we're told to pursue it uh, above all others. And so, I, you know, if there's one I'm going to tell you never give up on, it's for sure prophecy. If there's one that I would say, yeah, maybe that's not your gift, it would be teaching. So um, it, might, it might depend on the gift. And um, Well, and, I would say one other thing. It's about okay. loving people, right? So... Uh, somebody asked, maybe you don't have a gift of healing, but they're in pain. Okay, pray for them. That, that, right. that Whether you have the gift or not, you pray. Right. And this comes into another topic we've talked about before on the show, and that is, like, is there such thing as a residential versus a non-residential gift? Right. Um, like a residential gift. Like, uh, So, Miller, you and I, we have the gift of teaching. We kind of are put on the spot every Sunday to use that gift of teaching. And so that's that's residential. Uh, I, I think it'd be really, really crappy if, uh, I don't know, just some Sunday the Lord decided to remove it. <laughs> That's kind right. of my career. So, um, but that there's a, that some would argue, and, and these are not quote biblical categories. This is just theologians systematizing as they do systematic theology, but specifically in the area of spiritual gifts, some believe that. Uh, that there's such a thing as a non-residential gift, and that some of the, especially 1 Corinthians 12 gifts, such as like uh, the gift of faith and the gift of healing, even the gift of prophecy and word of wa- wisdom and word of knowledge, that these are more like God gives the gift in a moment and then lets off. And, and so like maybe you're praying for healing and then God gives the gift of healing for that moment in the form of a healing. Miller, do you think there's anything to this or is this just uh, unhelpful theory? Uh, I think there's something to it. I don't know for certain, but I mean, we, we've got the spirit so he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Um, and yet our experiences, we're going to probably operate in one or two predominantly throughout our lives. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, yeah. 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 But Miller, I think in the end, I would agree with you that it, it probably depends on the kind of gift. If it's like leadership or teaching, I have found that sometimes people want those upfront gifts um, that, makes them the center of attention and it's obvious to everything, everyone except that person, like God really isn't giving you that gift. But man, when it comes to to prophecy, we are told equally desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And I say, keep going for it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't think you should be discouraged. I think you just keep going for it and, and then leave it to the Lord. Uh, That's probably the best we can do in a short time. Same thing Uh, with evangelism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's, uh, Teresa Smallwood. How do you, how do I know if a dream, Ooh, the topic of dreams is from the Lord as it was prophesied over me that the Lord would speak to me this way versus I ate something weird before, uh, before bed kind of dream. Okay. Uh, great question. You know, uh, I think what I would say, I mean, first of all, I'm going to give Michael's opinion here. I, I don't think that every dr- every dream is either 100% from God or 100% not from God. I've found that in my own prophetic dreams, like there might be like, it's really from God. And then there might just be like a pig walking down the road. And like, I mean, like it has nothing to do with it. Like this is my dream life. Okay. So I I, I don't know. (laughs) That seems like something unclean, Michael. (laughs) So, but I think we can still speak in general ways of like a dream that's from the Lord versus not. Um, I would say that oftentimes if it is a dream, um, if it's a dream that's like about God, angels, demons, the church, those kinds of things, 
I would say it puts it in the realm of maybe more likely to be from God versus if maybe you were just dreaming of a pig walking down the road and it ran into a mud puddle. I don't know. Like, it's probably just a rando dream. But but I will also say this. Just because it involves God and, and spiritual things does not mean it's from God. There's really no substitute for a friendship with God. We have to seek the Lord and ask his guidance. Lord, is this dream from you? And one thing Paul did, I quoted Acts 16 earlier, Paul had the dream of the Macedonians saying, come over here and help us. But in that text, it says, we concluded God was calling us to Macedonia. So Paul actually brought his friends into it and they sought implicitly, they sought the Lord together because they concluded that God would, God had called them to a different location. And so I would say, seek the Lord yourself, ask him, Lord, is this from you? And if you're having trouble figuring that out, get a couple of friends and ask them, do you think this is from the Lord? And if so, what do you think that it's saying? I think that would be my uh, counsel. Do you have anything to add to that, Miller? No, no, that's great. Okay, cool. All right, David Wilkes, I haven't even read it yet, but here it goes. If God heals whenever he wills in cooperation with our prayers, then what is the difference between that and someone who has the gift of healing if the common denominator is God's will? Miller. I'm going to leave that question okay. up because it's kind of com- complicated. Yeah. yeah, well, so this is this is definitely a complicated question. I don't think healing is entirely dependent upon God's will. And the reason I say this is because when the disciples and that could statement not cast has to a be demon out of, <laughs> but yes. I know it does, it does, it does. Uh, I recognize the danger or how that could be interpreted. But again, I think about the failure of the disciples to cast a demon out of a boy that caused the boy to throw himself in the fire. Um, well, that failure d- doesn't mean that it wasn't God's will to deliver the boy from his demon. And oftentimes sicknesses are related to demons. Jesus actually rebukes them, says, you have little faith. You know, how long should I put up with this perverse and unbelieving generation? And then he delivers the boy and the boy is healed. So what was God's will in that occasion? Well, God's will was for the boy to be delivered. Well, why wasn't he delivered by the disciples? Because the disciples didn't have a lifestyle that involved prayer and some kind of demons only come out through a lifestyle prayer. Um, So I guess the, the, point i'm trying to make is i think god is far more willing to do things than we realize i think we come into these things with a lack of understanding a lack of experience we don't pray uh, or have a lifestyle of prayer and so there are things that don't happen because us and i would say the same thing is true when it comes to evangelism um god is uh people people are out there are probably more willing to believe than we realize but we need to be out there actually sharing the gospel does that michael do you want to Step yeah, into that one a little bit. Yeah, um, man, there's so much to say. We did a, a video on healing and the two wills of the God. The two wills. You definitely should, yeah. should look at that, because I think that a lot of times we speak past each other when we're talking about God's will as it relates to healing. Like, is it God's will to heal this person, or is it not? There's just lots of different ways that we can talk about it. We know that if you're a believer, it is his will to heal you. The question is, is it his will to heal you when Jesus comes back and you receive your resurrection body? or in this life. And so uh, that's one way of looking at it. But then we've looked at the more kind of theologians way, of, uh, like this, the theological, we, we, we look at the Calvinist versus Arminian approach to the two wills of God. Both believe that God has two wills in relation to salvation. And so the, the Calvinist looks at the verse that says, uh, you know, God wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, one of God's wills is for all to be saved. But then the Calvinist says, but he only elects some, so he also has a, a secret will, <laughs> uh, a, a will that we're not aware of, a mysterious will, and they have different names for these two, two wills, it doesn't matter. But um, anyway, so God wills for all to be saved in a very general sense, but in a specific secret sense, he wills only for the elect to be saved. And before you start scoffing, Arminians <laughs> believe the same thing, only with a little nuance. They still believe there's two wills. They believe, hey, it's God's will for all to be saved, but God has an even higher will, and that, or, or another will, and that does trump that one, and that is his will to give people uh, a choice. And so that second kind of mitigating factor determines that's why not everyone is, is safe. All that to say, we can apply this same sort of framework to healing. And we can say that there's a sense in which God wants everyone to be healed, 
Um, God just in, in his heart just delights in healing. I mean, look at the original creation. It was created without suffering, without sickness. Like this is God's heart for all to be healed. Um, but then like, is it his will in any and every circumstance? If I'm praying for the 103 year old on his deathbed, is it his will to heal that? Like, and so what happens is we end up speaking past each other and you get a Bill Johnson says, it's always God's will to heal. And you, you know, and God can't contradict himself and so on. And then, and then you get others who seem to say it's like never his will to heal. And so I think that we're speaking past each other because we're speaking from different perspectives of his will. And so, um, anyway, so that, that's what I think. Go back and watch the episode. I, I unpacked a little more of that than I intended, but, uh, I, I would say as a general rule, I can look at the life of Jesus and say, Jesus always treated sickness as an enemy. Jesus never turned somebody away who came and asked for a healing. He healed them. And so, um, and so I would say we have a good picture of like God loves healing. And so I don't think that we should generally be coming to a sick person and saying, well, I don't know if it's God's will or not. So maybe I should pray and maybe I shouldn't. I would say, assume it's God's will and unless he says otherwise, that's my general approach. And Paul seems to take that approach regardless of what you think the thorn in the flesh is in second Corinthians 12. But he says three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. That wasn't just like, please take it away. Please take it away. Please take it away. These are like three intense prayer sessions for the Lord to take away the thorn in the flesh. The Lord says no. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And so I would say like Paul, Paul assumes God's going to answer unless God says no. I take that approach with healing. That's the advice that I take. Last thing I'm going to say on this, Miller, because I know I've said a lot, um, is we can ask the same question with evangelism. We know the scripture says it's God God wants all to be saved. Yet we also know from Ephesians 4.11 uh, that God gifts the church with evangelists. So, um, And so most would say would agree that evangelism is a spiritual gift. And so same kind of idea. Um, God wants people to be saved. He gifts evangelism. Same idea as God wants people to be healed, but he gives the gift of healing. So I, I would say it's a, it's a pretty similar scenario. And maybe that kind of help you think through it. Miller, I can tell you want to talk though. So jump in or you want to say, uh, well, yeah, I just, I think one of the things I would say is that when I pray for somebody and they're not healed, I would never walk away assuming that it wasn't God's will in that moment. I would say that if Jesus were here, he would probably do this a heck of a lot better than me. Um, and it's, I, I oftentimes will, will say, you know what? Uh, I'm still learning and growing in this thing. Um, but I don't think that doesn't, I don't think that means it wasn't God's will to heal you. Um, I mean, Michael, you, you were there at the remnant conference when I, I got a name of somebody and I got, you have an issue with your colon. The lady came down, she'd had five feet of her colon removed. And then she had the name that I called out. But uh, when I prayed for her, I didn't even know what to pray for. I didn't know if I was supposed to pray for the scar tissue. I didn't know if I was supposed to pray for God to grow the five feet of colon that she had had removed. Um, and so, and I still don't even know if there was any healing that took place at all. Um, I think, you know, in that situation, I found myself kind of perplexed, not knowing what to do. But it felt like God wanted to do something more than just acknowledge the problem that she had at Colorado in a crowd. It seemed like God wanted to do some sort of healing. And so I, I'm okay with that complexity. I'm okay with that mystery of not understanding. Um, but and, and I do think that that is often the case. Like there are times when I've had people manifest demons and I wasn't able to get rid of the demon. And the person wanted freedom. Um, and so, again, I just go back to the drawing board. I always pro promise people that I'll pray for them again. I always promise that I'll pray for deliverance again. Uh, and I usually just say I need to spend some time with the Lord in prayer and ask him about why you weren't healed in this moment. Yeah, that's good. Okay, Miller, we're pretty close to time. I'll ask one more question here. Uh, this is more of like almost like a yes or no question, but I think it's, it's still a fascinating one. From Bolt Vanderhuge, the best last name ever. Actually, and first name, man, is that like an alias? Because that's the best name ever. Why didn't <laughs> my mother cool. name me Bolt Vanderhuge? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, does someone pray to the spirit in scripture? Miller, maybe you can help me out. I can't think 
of anybody who does. The only thing I think of is it seemed good to us and to the Spirit, yeah. which re- implies some level of communication with the Spirit. Yes, but that's different. Like, there's lots of the Spirit speaks to me. You know, the Spirit said to Philip, Acts 8. The Spirit said sure. to Peter, Acts 10. Um, and that's one of his purposes. I mean, the Spirit will be poured out, and you will prophesy. And so in this age that we live in, it should be characterized by prophecy because the Spirit has been given in a measure beyond anyone's experience in the Old Testament. And so we should expect God to speak to us by the Spirit. But, you know, I'm kind of thinking of, and you guys in the chat, maybe you'll think of a verse I'm not thinking of, but um, but I can think of verses where they pray, I mean, lots to the Father. Jesus teaches us to pray to the Father. Uh, and then uh, to the Son, like Acts uh, uh, 7, when when Stephen gives his speech and he's dying and he says, Lord, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He's talking to Jesus. Um, and even Acts 2, when it says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, a quote of Joel 2. Well, in context, the Lord is the Lord Jesus. And so, uh, and then I think of First John 1, where it says, "Our, um, you know, we want you to have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And so, um, it's a little bit of a Trinitarian lesson, lesson here, but the Spirit is more like um, He enables us to fellowship with the Father and the Son. It's it's by His agency that we do so. Now there are some a, a couple of complicated verses that refer to the fellowship of the Spirit, and nobody really knows. Does that mean like our fellowship with the literal Spirit? Does that mean um, the fellowship created by the Spirit, i.e., the Church or? the church's relationship with the Father and Son, we don't know for sure. And, and, and so those could be, you know, walk by the Spirit. That could be like walk in friendship with the Spirit. So there could be some evidence. But I, I'm just saying the the emphasis in the New Testament seems to be the Spirit helping us uh, to especially relate to the Father. And Ephesians chapter 2, for instance, we approach the Father by the Spirit uh, or through the Spirit and by the sacrifice of the Son. Uh, but then you also have praying to Jesus. So uh, it's the Trinity. It's complicated, Miller. But uh, uh, yeah, I can't think of a prayer where someone just says, Holy Spirit, please do this. But even having said that, Miller, I don't have a, a problem with the Lonnie Fris- Frisbee, John Wimber prayer of Holy Spirit come. I really don't. I, w- I just wouldn't major in it. I would major in praying to the Father and the Son. Miller, what about you? Yeah, I'm in agreement. We don't have biblical precedent that's explicit for it, but he's one and the same with the Father. And so I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but I, I want to pray as scripturally and scripture-like as possible. Um, but again, an argument from silence doesn't prove something definitive one way or the other. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking at the chat. Someone said, quoted Acts 21, thus says the Holy Spirit, Yep, that's true, but that's the Holy Spirit saying to us. That's not us saying to the Holy Spirit. But you know what that said? Again, I'm not against praying well, Michael, to the Holy Spirit. It's just not what I would major in. Miller? I'm just thinking, like, personally, when I have God speak to me about something, and I go, God, I don't understand this. Now, is it God speaking to me? Is it the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Uh, am I speaking to the Holy Spirit if it is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? I just don't think we're meant to parse these things out this way. Um, I, I don't want to separate the three persons of the Trinity. I, I think it's fine to use those various titles as, you know, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father. Uh, I believe it's okay to call him Lord, Adonai, Yahweh, um, Abba. Uh, all of those are appropriate names that we, we can uh, use to speak with God. Yep. Absolutely. Well, guys, that is about a wrap. Miller, do you have any kind of final closing thoughts we should walk away with before we uh, wrap this thing up? Uh, no, I just another reminder about the e-course and uh, the Remnant Radio Conference. I'm I'm just I'm getting really excited about that conference in September. I feel like it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. I think the one we did in March was probably the most fun conference I've gotten to be a part of. And I'm, I'm just, one, it's, it feels like it's uh, with family. Like I feel like I finally get to put faces to people. So I was thinking of Darren Piles and, and BJ, you know, both of you guys are always faithful to watch the show. I would love to meet you guys in person. Please come to this conference. Yeah. Um, and then uh, e-course. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. Hit that like and subscribe button. Share the video around. And uh, Miller mentioned e-course, mentioned conference. Definitely check those out. And uh, check out some of our other videos. We have videos going back for years, six to 700 of them if you count them all up. So uh, lots of good stuff. And uh, Miller, I just uh, got a, a letter this week from somebody who came out of New Age and uh, and found Jesus and uh, Remnant Radio helped her in that. So oh, pretty cool awesome. stuff. Um, but anyway, Forward guys. that to me. I'd like to read that. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take a photo of it, send it to you. Well, guys, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week for more Remnant Radio. Have a great week. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.